welcome into the latest installment of the Sharpshooters podcast. I'm David Schuster, and he, of course, is Mr. Mark Shanowski. And Mark, today we're certainly going to update our audience on everything that is currently uh, in regards to the Bulls. We're going to go back in time with our memory segment from yesteryear. We're going to talk the rest of the NBA and throw in a few surprises along the way. Chicago pizza. Um, but we'd start with the Bulls who, as we record this, are 4-7, and and though it's early, are outside looking up at a playoff spot. And, boy, we've said that a lot over the last few years, haven't we? I'll tell you what, though. I've seen some real signs of growth, especially over the last couple of weeks. The offense is looking really good. They're now sixth in the NBA in scoring, averaging about 116 points a game. Problem is on the other end. They can't stop anybody. Last or Next to last in the league in defensive rating, allowing 121 points. That's got to change if they're going to make a run at 500 and the possibility of getting into that playoff situ- play-in situation. I don't know. You know, it's been fun to watch, and I think that's really, if you're a Bulls fan, after what we've seen over the last two or three years, that's a big improvement. I mean, the team is fun to watch. They seem to like their head coach, Billy Donovan, and, you know, it, it just seems like there's a togetherness that we haven't seen for a while. And I think for the start of a new season, with everything that's going on in the world, that's a big plus for Bulls fans. They could have won, you know, three of those four games on the West Coast trip. Heck, they could have won all four if a couple right. of things would have broke right for them. And the fact that they were competitive right down to the finish with the defending champion Lakers and they had the Clippers, they were winning that game for three and a half quarters. Um, you know, I think those are definite signs of growth. It was really a shame they didn't get to play against Boston on Tuesday because of the health and safety protocols. Hopefully their game on Friday night will go off as scheduled against Oklahoma City because that's a team they should be able to beat. Uh, You mentioned Donovan, Billy Donovan. We're going to hear from him uh, in the midst of this uh, podcast. We're also going to hear from Zach Levine on a couple of different subjects. We're going to talk about Zach Levine as well, Mark, because he's been in the news. And one of our good friends, uh, sometimes beat reporter Joe Colley, has had his thoughts about Zach Levine. And I know you have your thoughts and I have my thoughts as well in regards to Zach Levine. So we'll talk about that. And you're 100% correct. I watched all four of those games, obviously, out in the West Coast. Lost a little sleep in the process, but that's like <laughs> in the big city. And you're right. I mean, they easily, easily could have won all four games. They all went down to the wire. Um, the first game against Portland, they did win that game. Um, and, and actually, I thought Portland, honestly, I thought Portland played pretty stupid because Portland was up in the fourth quarter and they were shooting threes when they didn't need to do that. Then against, you know, and, and ultimately the Bulls took advantage of that because Portland had an off night shooting those threes, especially in the fourth quarter. Against Sacramento, they easily could have won that game. And then the two games at the Staples Center against the Lakers and then against the Clippers, they took them both down to the wire mark. So it's just a matter of getting over the hump of which we'll talk about that as well. I was encouraged with how they played on the West Coast. And the thing that really strikes me as funny, you know, we've talked about this a lot on past shows. Zach Levine is such a polarizing figure to Bulls fans, and I really can't figure out why. Yes, he's not the greatest defensive player in the world. Sometimes he gets lost watching the ball, gets back cut and things like that, kind of makes him look bad. But it's not Zach Levine's fault all by himself that the Bulls are giving up 121 points a game. And then people were ripping on him for the fact that he took contested shots at the end of the Lakers and Clippers games. Well, he had 38 against the Lakers, 45 against the Clippers. Who else do you want shooting that last shot? Now, granted, the last shot against the Clippers was an air ball. He didn't get a solid screen from Thad Young, and he was basically contested on both sides of his body. That, that was a tough shot. But the one he took against the, the Lakers, I had no problem at all with that. He came off a screen. There was a switch with Montrez Harrell. He shot a step-back mid-range jumper. It didn't go in, 
but it was a good shot. You know, some people were saying we should have passed it back to Thad Young. You want Thad Young to take an 18-footer rather no. than Zach? Not me. No, absolutely not. Um, well, let's talk about Levine because obviously um, he's he's off to a great scoring start again. Right now he's averaging almost 28 points a game. He's fourth in the league. He's shooting 49% overall from the field, 37% from three mark, and he hit 10 three-pointers in that game against the Clippers. The last one, you know, it wasn't the best of shots. Like you said, he actually had two guys open on the wings that he could have passed, and he had plenty of time still left on the clock. So I think if he even looks back at the tape, he'll realize that maybe he should have passed the ball in that situation. But when you've hit 10 three-pointers already in a game, there's a mindset that, you know, and Steph Curry is the all-time guy, you know, you can be at half court. If you've been made already 10 already, you think you're going to make that 11th no matter where you're shooting from. So I don't have any problem with Zach Levine, but um, and we're going to hear from him in just a second. But let's just talk about Joe Colley again, who's really knows the sport. And, you know, you know how I know Joe Colley knows the sport because I've played basketball with him. Right. And actually, he does know how to play the game and he knows how to critique the game. I don't think I agree with him. You know, he goes that Zach Levine is not an elite player. He calls him a very good player, but not an elite. And I disagree with him. You know, and he brings up, you know, the whole thing with Jimmy Butler. You know, should they do the same thing, not do the same thing? I think ultimately, and I think I've said this to you and to many other people, that ultimately he will be the guy that's traded but I'm not looking to trade him. And I don't think Arturis Karnishevis is looking to trade him, at least not in the near, near future. I think he's going to go through the whole season, take a look at the whole roster, and then make whatever decision he's got to make. But I do consider Zach Levine an elite player. He's an elite scorer. Um, I think he's gotten better in other areas. He can still be even better. But I do equate him to being an elite player. Yeah, and for those who might be new to our podcast, Joe Cowley covers the Bulls. He's the beat writer for the Chicago Sun-Times. He's been on the beat for a while. And like most beat writers, he's very loyal to guys who are good to him. Jimmy Butler was very good to Joe Cowley over the years in terms of taking him behind the scenes, giving him off-the-record stuff. And Joe is fiercely loyal to Jimmy. And, and basically, you know, let's be honest, a lot of the things he wrote, he got from Jimmy, and he was kind of pushing Jimmy's agenda. And Butler is a very strong personality. He wore out his welcome, forced his way out of Minnesota, didn't like the situation in Philadelphia. He was out of there after less than a full season. Jimmy can be a really hard guy to work with, but Jimmy had Joe convinced that he could have recruited Kyrie Irving, who has turned out to be a walking disaster. I don't know how that would have worked out. And potentially some other guys from that U.S. national team that he was a part of. Who knows? Maybe Jimmy could have done that. We'll never know. But, you know, to say that Zach Levine doesn't measure up to Jimmy, I think is really unfair. I think Zach Levine athletically is far superior to Jimmy Butler. Jimmy has the toughness. He has that competitive streak. Not to say Zach doesn't, but I think that's what carried Jimmy to where he got to leading the Heat to the finals last year. I don't want to disparage either one of those guys. I like Jimmy Butler as a player. I think he did a marvelous job for the Heat last year. But I don't think you have to downgrade one to pump up the other. And I think Zach Levine could be an excellent number two guy on a contending team. Would you build the entire team around him? No, but there's only five guys in the league, maybe, maybe five to eight guys that you would say, I want to build my team around that player. So I think it's unfair to expect Zach on a rebuilding team to, to single-handedly carry this team to a 500 record and a playoff berth. And then Joe went on to say in some of his social media stuff that if you guys want to be the five seed and eliminated in the first round every year, that's fine. Well, let's face it, only one team wins the championship at the end of the year, 
and it's usually one that's loaded with superstars. The Bulls need to get Zach some help, and those are the marching orders for Arturis Karnischewicz right now. Zach isn't the problem. They need to supplement with better talent around him. 100%. All right, let's hear from Zach Levine right now because, as mentioned, he did take the last second shots in both L.A. games against the Lakers and then against the Clippers. Unfortunately, he came up short on both those shots. But, again, he hit a slew of shots long before that and had great games both times. And he has uh, – he, he's had taken – or he, I should say he's taken – the last second shot on numerous occasions. Who else do you want on this roster to really do that? Anyway, let's hear from Zach Levine right now. He's not afraid to take that last second shot. I mean, you guys know this. I hit a lot of clutch shots last year. I gave us like <laughs> three or four game winners last year. I had one this year with Golden State. They came down, hit a good shot. I'm comfortable in those situations. I've, you know, I think you guys know that I've had a numerous amounts of those, and I've had a lot where I've missed as well. But, you know, we were competitive last year. We we're competitive this year. We just got to learn how to start putting those into wins. You know, you're not going to go out there and hit every game-winning shot, but you don't want to have it be a game-winning situation every time either. So as you heard there, Mark, he's pretty defiant when he talks about that. He, You know, and, and I like his attitude because there's always going to be one guy who wants to take that shot, and Zach Levine is that guy. And I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a big backer of him taking those shots. Like I said, in the last game against the Clippers, I think he should have passed in that situation. But, you know, he's a leader on the court and he wants to take that shot. You know, Shu, I was kind of amused in hearing Zach's comments. You know, it reminds me of the classic movie Hoosiers where uh, Gene Hackman wanted to run the picket fence at the end of the game. And Jimmy Chitwood said, give me the ball, coach. I'll make it. And and that's Zach's mentality. You know, he, he feels like in any situation he can make that shot. And, yes, there are times where you do want to run the old picket fence and, and catch a team, you know, watching the paint dry, maybe get a backdoor cut and score an easy basket that way. And that's something that Zach is going to have to learn. Granted, this is his seventh year in the league. He should have learned some of those lessons. And at times he does get kind of tunnel vision in terms of I'm hot and I'm the guy that's got to make the shot. There's a, there's a fine line in between, you know, if you can draw a double team and pass it to a wide open teammate, That was something that LeBron James had to learn early in his career. He kind of aired the other direction when he almost looked to pass more than take the shot himself. So all the great players learn it over time. Zach is still young enough, and he's gotten better every year he's worn that Bulls uniform. You know, he's got a year, almost two full years left on his contract. You have to be make sure you're going to get a very good return if you would consider trading Zach Levine. You know, it's interesting, Mark, because the greatest of all time, basketball-wise, is Michael Jordan. It, you know, and we can argue about that if anybody wants to at, at any point down the road here. But Michael always obviously took the last second shot. There weren't that many last second shots because the Bulls had so many games that were won and he was on the bench at the end of the game. But there were a few here and there. And I can recall, you know, not, not a multitude of times, but there were times Michael missed that last second shot. And he walked off the court very comfortable in his head that, listen, you know, I'm the guy who's got to take that shot. I'm not going to make it every single time. I'll make it a majority of the time. So there's a mentality. The, the number one player on a basketball team has got to have the mentality, first of all, the balls, if you will, pun intended, to take that shot and the confidence that he's going to make that shot. And, and like I said, Zach Levine has those qualities. And that's the kind of guy every NBA team has to have. You have to have a cold-blooded score a guy that feels like he can get a bucket anytime you come down court. And granted, that was one of the issues that the Bulls had when they made the transition from the Derrick Rose teams. They needed a guy who could be that elite scorer. Jimmy Butler did it at times, and Jimmy was at his best late in games, which was a, a credit to him. 
But I think Zach is, is very comparable in terms of being able to get those big buckets in the fourth quarter. And he was able to get them back in that game against the Clippers when it looked like it was slipping away. Unfortunately, he shot an air ball on the last shot, and, and maybe they could have gotten a better shot in that possession. But, you know, I'll ride or die with, with Zach, especially with Lowry Markin in sideline. Hopefully he's going to get back Friday night against Oklahoma City, and the offense will be a little bit more well-rounded. But for the last handful of games, it's really been Zach and Kobe. And after that, you're kind of searching for offense from other parts of the team. All right, I want to talk about a couple other players on the roster. We can run down all of them, but let's just highlight a few. And you just mentioned Kobe White, so let's talk about him. His numbers so far, averaging 17 points, averaging six assists, and I want to highlight that in just a couple of seconds. 42% overall shooting from the field, 36% from three, um, and he's averaging three turnovers a game. Mark, slowly but surely, he is impressing me that he can, especially in today's modern NBA game, that he can play the point guard position. There are other guys that I think are more true, quote-unquote, point guards, and, and we've seen that like Ty Halliburton in, in that Sacramento game. But um, Kobe White is actually starting to turn the corner for me also. You know, it's been interesting, David, is that you know when they go to the bench, Zach Levine has been playing point guard with that second unit. And remember, Zach came into the league, he was playing some point guard at Minnesota his first year. And that's not really his ideal position, but it just goes to show you that Billy Donovan really values Kobe White, what he can do as a scorer, as a, as a guy who can get hot and throw in three or four three-pointers in a, in a short span of time. And it's almost gotten to the point where I think in certain situations, he's more comfortable with Zach handling the ball and let Kobe run off screens and be a catch-and-shoot guy. Now, they're hoping to get Thomas Sadaransky back hopefully soon. I mean, the latest reports are he's not even close to practicing, so it's going to be a while before Sato comes back. Ryan Archie Diakono should be back, so he'll get some minutes, I'm sure, at point guard. But they've been using Kobe and Zach almost exclusively handling the ball. The issue with them in the game against the Clippers, each of them had five turnovers. Right. And you mentioned the fact that Kobe's averaging six assists, but he's also averaging three turnovers a game. A two to one, you know, assist to turnover ratio is not great. You'd like an elite point guard to be better than that. But, you know, second year in the league, 20 years old, he's going to get better. And I think the thing that, you know, we kind of look at, different comments from the head coach or the front office and kind of read between the lines. And when you hear Billy Donovan say that he's still a work in progress as a point guard, you know that he's still looking for him to get better. Yeah, and as I've said numerous times, I think what Arturis Karnishevis is doing is he's evaluating his roster top to bottom from day one until the end of the season. He may trade a Thaddeus Young or a Sadoransky at the trading deadline, but the Zach Levines and everybody else that we're talking about here, I think will be on the roster throughout the entire season and he'll evaluate and make some decisions next summer. And one of those decisions could be to trade Zach Levine because I think in Kobe White, you know, he could easily play off the ball and maybe they look to get a point guard, which is what I thought they were going to do going into this season in the draft, but they decided to do otherwise. What they did do though, is that they trade, uh, drafted Patrick Williams and I want to talk about him for just a second now Mark because so far he's averaging I got to find my numbers here he's averaging 10 points per game um let's see with four rebounds he's shooting 47 percent overall surprisingly and he hasn't taken that many threes he's shooting 46 from three-point range he does have that capability he's got that high arcing <laughs> shot and I don't know if you remember Howard Porter who was out of Villanova yeah, sure I do yeah He's got a very similar high arcing shot that you're waiting, waiting, waiting for it to come down. And like Billy Donovan said in a Zoom session earlier today, 
it brings rain down with it. But he's effective. You know what? In golf or in bowling or maybe even shooting the basketball, there's no proper way. It's just a matter if it goes in the basket or not. And the thing I like about Patrick Williams is that he's willing to learn. He talked about the fact that in a uh, practice session out on the West Coast, he was talking to Garrett Temple about his three-point shot. And Temple said, don't take that rhythm dribble. Just catch it and shoot it. And then against the Clippers, he knocked down three catch-and-shoot three-pointers. So it just goes to show you, at 19 years old, this kid is like a sponge. He just absorbs what the vets are going to tell him. He's getting high praise from other coaches and players around the league. I mean, when you have LeBron James saying Chicago is a good one and the kid is laser-focused and he's got Kawhi-like hands, and then Kawhi Leonard mentioned the fact that he told the kid to keep working at what you're doing. You know, I like I like what I see in your game. That is so meaningful for a rookie player in the league. I mean, Patrick Williams said that he idolized Kawhi Leonard when he was playing in uh, middle school and high school. And for Kawhi to kind of give him some good feedback that you're on the right track, that had to mean a lot to him. I mean, obviously, Kawhi torched him in that third quarter when he scored 21 points and Patrick was going – first he was going under screens – which you can't do when a guy gets hot. Then he got hung up on a couple of screens. This is all a learning process. And the next time that he guards LeBron or Kawhi, he'll be better prepared to go up against those guys. Well, and you know, Mark, he came into the league with a reputation as a defensive, I hate to use the word stopper, but a potential stopper. Right. No, no, there's no such thing as a stopper. If someone's hot, I don't care who you are. They're going to just score points. But he's got that defensive abilities. And already Billy Donovan is entrusting him with that number one defensive assignment, especially, you know, at the forward position in back to back to back games. He, you know, not back to back to back games, but he over a span of games, he was guarding Giannis, a two time back to back MVP winner. LeBron, we can go on and on and on about the accolades and, and the awards he's won. And then after that, Kawhi Leonard. So, I mean, he's getting the best defensive assignment. And let's hear from Zach Levine again here, because Zach Levine talks about uh, Patrick Williams getting that defensive assignment. It makes him better. Um, I know he got another tough assignment in two days. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's it comes with the league and. I think it's better to, you know, get him out early and, 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 and face him head on because that's what you have to expect on a night in, night in, night out basis. Um, especially as a rookie playing as many minutes and it gives you experience to, you know, you're not going to back down or you're not going to, you're always going to respect these guys in the league, but you got to come out and you got to come out and play them. And if you don't give them, uh, you know, you don't give them too much respect because, you know, you got to compete against them. So I think it's, it's a learning lesson early. You know, Pat, Pat's been playing, you know, incredibly well, especially for somebody at 19 to go up against these guys early. I think he's, I think he's, he's been great. I wouldn't say surprised because, you know, it's not like I, I know him. You know, I got to, got to get to know him this year. So I get to see his personality. And now, you know, now that I know him a little bit, you know, over, you know, preseason and stuff like that, um, his demeanor isn't somebody to back down from anybody and, you know, get too high or too low. He just, he just answered the call and, you know, coach said, all right, you got LeBron today, you got Giannis. He's like, okay. You know, you don't see any, you know, any shyness or like laughing about it. It's like, okay, so that's it's, it's something that, you know, I've noticed. So Zach Levine knows that, you know, it's not easy getting that defensive assignment on a game by game basis, but he thinks that the young kid is up to the challenge. You know, when they made that selection on draft day, I was a little bit skeptical. We talked about it in our draft previews that I really liked Isaac Okoro from Auburn, and he's off to a nice start with the Cleveland Cavaliers as they're starting small forward. But I think the fact that Patrick Williams is three inches taller, he's sturdier, he's probably going to hold up better over his NBA career and probably is a little bit more versatile than what Okoro is. 
Uh, I'm really excited about what this kid can can develop into. The fact that he's learning from veterans, that he's willing to make changes to his game to be more effective at the NBA level. And let's face it, he didn't start a game at Florida State. He started every game as a professional. So, you know, the kid has taken on taken the starting role and he's ran with it. And I think that it's going to be interesting to chart his development over the next couple of years. The Bulls could have a really special player there. 100% in agreement on that. The one thing that has carried over from college to the pros, and, and it's not, I, I won't put this in the positive category, although maybe some other people might think it is, he's still deferring to his teammate. Now, he did that in his one year at Florida State. He was the freshman. He did come off the bench, even though he easily could have started. That's just the way that, you know, that program was run down there. But he's, you can tell at different times on the court that he's deferring to the veterans that are on the court with him. And I'd like to see him. And I think it's just a matter of time that it becomes more assertive and more aggressive. But he's got a man's body, no question about that. He also has a nice touch. You don't always have to shoot three-pointers. I mean, there's nothing wrong with moving a couple of feet inside if get into the lane and in your mid-range game. And he does have that mid-range game. And I like his shot. Actually, it looks like his shot is a little bit different mid-range game than it is from three-point. He's got the higher arc from three-point, which is sort of strange. But I don't know. I just like the kid. I think he's got those qualities to be really, really good going down the road. Well, don't tell that to the analytics people because they'll tell you the mid-range shot's the worst shot in the game. But, you know, last year the coaching staff got paralyzed by analytics and it really was to the detriment of the offense. Guys were afraid to take mid-range shots because they thought they'd get yanked out of the game right away. Now Billy Donovan's given Williams and Zach Levine and all the guys on the roster the freedom to shoot the mid-range jumper when they think it's the best shot available. And I think that's one of the reasons why the Bulls have been so good at the offensive end. You know, the hell with the analytics people. Right. They're not on the court. You know what? I mean, it's great if, you know, if you can hit three-pointers, great, okay? But I'm going to go back to that Portland game, the first game of the road trip. Portland was shooting three-pointers in the fourth quarter and missing them, you know, on a consistent basis, whether it was Lillard, McCollum, or even uh, Carmelo Anthony. And there was nobody under the basket when they were shooting these. And they had the clock in their favor. And I just didn't understand it. Now, if they would have set up their offense and maybe gotten a two-pointer and had a better chance of scoring then, as opposed to missing the three-pointer, they win the game. So the hell with the analytics people. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, well, you can tell that you and I are kind of old-fashioned about we that. I mean, when the three-point shot first came into the league, teams would shoot it with on rare occasion. And, and guys uh, like Jordan and – and Larry Bird did okay with shooting minimal three-pointers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, let's talk to, about Billy Donovan. Again, you can tell these players, I mean, for the ones that were here, and most of the roster was here last year, from Jim Boylan now to uh, Billy Donovan, it's like a breath of fresh air, both on and off the court. And and you can tell, I mean, I'm sure if he, if he needs to, he can get on these guys like every coach can behind closed doors. But he's a big, big backer of all these guys. And even when he criticizes criticizes them after games, Mark, he does it without raising his voice. It's to the point. There's nothing about Billy Donovan so far that I don't like, other than the fact that we can't talk to him in person. Everything is Zoom. Yeah, I think Billy would like to see the team clean up the turnovers. You know, they're they're averaging about 18 turnovers a game. That's near the bottom of the league, and teams are getting a lot of points off turnovers, which was the, really the difference in that game against the Clippers. So, you know, they've got to clean up some things on the defensive end. They've got to handle the ball a little bit better, but I think it's going to come. Uh, the nice thing about it is Donovan realizes he's got an exceptionally young team like he had in Oklahoma City a year ago, and he's not going to crush these guys' confidence by blasting them in the media 
or yanking him out of games when they make mistakes. You know, he's done a good job trying to build up Wendell Carter Jr.'s confidence. He's been better of late. He's been taking that mid-range jumper. He doesn't look so reluctant to contribute on the offensive end. And when he makes a mistake, you know, Billy will talk to him and get him right back in there, where last year he would spend long periods of time on the bench after a mistake, and I think it kind of hurt his, his confidence. Every player's a little bit different on how they handle criticism. I think Carter's one of those guys that really kind of takes it to heart and maybe broods for a little bit. you got to be careful with guys like that. And Donovan's been an excellent change of pace in terms of building up his confidence and, and making him feel better. And he's also handled the rookie Patrick Williams very well. So, you know, I think it, when you consider the fact that the Bulls opened with one of the toughest schedules that you could possibly see in the league, it's going to moderate a little bit as time goes on. You're going to get more players back from the COVID protocols. And, and my hope is that this team can really start becoming – you know, a team that will be a 500 team going forward. All right, you mentioned Wendell Carter. Real quick uh, words on him. 13 points, eight rebounds so far. You know, during the preseason, the four games that they played in the preseason, I what was he, like one for 20 or something ridiculous and shooting threes. I hope that was an experiment that was pretty much put to bed. Uh, even as the regular season has started, he still can't shoot from three. And I sort of, like, you know, cringe when I see him even attempting a three-pointer. I think he knows where his bread is buttered and it's inside the lane, obviously. And I do like the way he's played a lot better of recently. Yeah, he's been better. And I'm going to be curious to see how things change when Lowry Marketing returns. Remember, Lowry was playing pretty well the first three games of the year. He was shooting the three-point shot at just under 50%. He was getting to the free throw line with more regularity. So, you know, I, I think that it's going to be interesting to see how the shots are going to be distributed when Marketing is back as a starter. It's been kind of a... Zach and Kobe centric offense and now they're going to have more guys that are going to want to shoot it Otto Porter should be back uh, he practiced on Thursday and said that you know he's his back is feeling better hopefully he gets back in the rotation in that six-man role and then when they get Sato and Chandler Hutchison back Billy Donovan is going to have to make some decisions on who falls out of the rotation um, it's hard to say that you know this is one of the deeper teams in the league when you're four and seven but they do have a pretty deep roster and managing minutes is going to be one of the challenges going forward. Sadoransky and Hutchinson, neither one will travel to Oklahoma City for the game on Friday night. Billy Donovan uh, did say that. Markinen has practiced the last couple of days, so he likely will be back inserted into the starting lineup. And Otto Porter did practice, and we're we're doing this on Thursday. He did practice on Thursday and is probably going to play on Friday night. So that's your update on the roster. One more soundbite from Billy Donovan, because after the West Coast trip, again, they were one and three. They were very competitive, but they didn't win those games. And, you know, the Bulls have had, unfortunately, long before Donovan came over to the franchise, a history of just not winning games like they did, didn't do, I should say, on the West Coast. So here's Billy Donovan talking about it takes a lot to overcome that culture, if you will, of not winning games. We're all going to have to dig ourselves out of this. You know, I, I do think that losing, you know, can become kind of habitual and it can become a habit. And this is a young group that has not seen a lot of success, team success in this league. And they're going to be the ones that are going to have to turn it. And and obviously we as coaches are a part of it too. And we've got to help. And we've all got to help. And we've all got to help each other. And we've got to all pull together. And it's got to be everyone. Uh, but I, I'm... You know, again, this is a, a strange time, you know, playing the game with what's going on. But I, I do think that this is a, a group with great character. It's a really good working group. Uh, I believe they want to get better. I believe they want to improve. But they've got to get to a point where, you know, they understand very, very clearly the things that go into winning, 
at the highest level and the things that you have to do to win. And Mark, I, I think just the fact that they have a coach in Billy Donovan as they learn more and more from him and they get accustomed to everything in regards to him and the rest of it, I think it's a talented coaching staff and the growth of these players. I think those wins will start coming more frequently. Well, the fact that they almost beat the Lakers and the Clippers on the road shows that they can compete with any team in the league. And if you look at trends over the first three weeks plus of the season, you know, we've been seeing a lot of strange scores, very little defense. You see teams will win three or four in a row and then they'll kind of go in the tank. I mean, everybody's talking about how good, Cleveland was, and, and they've come crashing back to earth. Orlando, you know, got off to a good start, and, and they haven't been as good since. You know, I think you're going to see a lot of strange scores. A lot of it's going to be who's available for a team on a given night because of the health and safety protocols. And let's hope, like Adam Silver has been advising teams, that January is going to be a rough month, and hopefully things will start to improve in February because we've seen a bunch of games canceled. The Washington Wizards are the latest team that have been hit hard. They've had several of their games postponed. Boston's going to get back to action on Friday night. You know, we're hitting a really rough patch after the holidays, and and hopefully it doesn't get to the point where the league has to shut down for a while. I know that's the last thing they want to do because they don't feel like that's necessarily the answer to stop the spread. And let's just hope that, the, you know, we'll see a, a trend in the right direction when we hit February. All right, let's go around the league a little bit. Um, before we get to the James Harden trade, and, and obviously that's the big story in the NBA, uh, we'll get to that in a second. Let's just talk a little bit about how teams have gotten – you know, the the ones that have gotten off the good starts, the ones that have not gotten off the good starts. And basically, we're about a dozen games, give or take, into the season. In the East, Boston, Philadelphia, and Milwaukee, those are the three teams that have gotten off to pretty good starts. Toronto, whoo! Yeah. Oh, boy, I thought, they were, I thought the bottom was going to fall out last year, and I was wrong about that. And credit to Nick Nurse for getting coach of the year and, and keeping them afloat. But so far this year, it is not working. Well, when you look at the fact that Pascal Siakam was widely recognized as a guy that was going to be, you know, a multiple-time All-Star, that he was going to step into that Kawhi Leonard role and be the leading scorer for the Raptors, and he played exceptionally well. But as you remember, he tailed off at the end of last season, and you thought, well, maybe he just tired a little bit from carrying the offensive load. But he just has not played as well this season, and age is caught up to Kyle Lowry. I mean, he's just not the same player as he was for the bulk of his career. He's been a great pro. He was a big factor in them winning the championship a couple of years ago. But I think, you know, he's just not the same player he was in his prime. Fred Van Vliet got the big contract. He's played well for them. But, you know, I didn't think they would miss Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka as much as they have. But, you know, they the, the middle was with Aaron Baines, I, I thought might be do a good job stepping in as a replacement for Gasol. But for whatever reason, they're they're not they've not been able to hang on to leads. They've blown some games against inferior teams and they look like a team that could be in danger of possibly missing the playoffs altogether. Yeah, another team that's, you know, at the 500 mark, Atlanta's 5-5, five and five, and and they started out well, and then they've lost some games recently. They, they have a talented roster. It's young, very young, in fact. I'm surprised that they're only 5-5, five and five, but again, we're only 10 or 12 games into the season. Yeah, I think Atlanta's going to be okay. I think for that team, Lloyd Pierce is still trying to figure out rotations. He actually has too many young players that all want minutes. At some point, he's going to have to try to stop making everybody happy and identify the best eight or nine guys on his team and, and go with those guys almost exclusively. And then Bogdan Bogdanovich, who they signed as a, as a free agent, had a rather serious knee injury. He's going to be out for an extended period of time, and, and that's going to hurt them as well. I think Atlanta is going to be in the mix for one of those play-in spots. Uh, I don't think they're a lock to make the playoffs especially when you look at the Pacers getting Karis LeVert in this, this Harden deal. 
I think that's an upgrade over Victor Oladipo, and I think Indiana is a team that's solidly in the playoff field now. All right, and Miami, they have the same record as the Bulls currently at 4-7. and seven. They've had to deal, obviously, with some COVID problems like almost everybody else, and, and Jimmy's missed a couple of games on top of it. But I, I don't know, Mark. I mean, you know, I, I thought the future looked really bright for them. You know, they made it to the championship even though it was in the bubble last year. And they thought, you know, they had a lot of money. They still will have a lot of money. But Giannis, who I think was their big prize, hopefully, you know, down the road for them, obviously signed uh, with Milwaukee and to stay there. I don't know if their future is as bright now as I thought it was maybe like six or eight months ago. Well, there have been a lot of rumors that they are very interested in Victor Oladipo, who uh, wound up in Houston in that trade, but will be an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. Who knows? Maybe Miami calls up Arturis Karnischewicz and asks if Zach Levine is available. You know, they could use a dynamic scorer like that to go along with Jimmy and their shooters and Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero. Miami, I think, overachieved in getting to the finals. Unique circumstances with the bubble. They caught Milwaukee in a, in a really downslide in the bubble. Milwaukee played terrible after they got back to action after the break. I don't know if Miami is a team that's going to contend to get back to the finals. I think your best team in the East is clearly Brooklyn after the trade. You know, we can talk about how it's going to work with three ball-dominant players and one basketball, but talent wins in the NBA, and they clearly have the most talented roster in the East right now. Zach Levine and Jimmy Butler on the same roster. Yeah. What's Joe Colley going to do about that? <laughs> well, maybe Jimmy can give Zach some lessons on how to be the alpha dog. All right, out west. I mean, the Lakers. I picked the Lakers to win last year. I'm going to pick them. I picked them to win again this year. Nothing that they've done so far, even though you know they didn't play that great against the Bulls. But Anthony Davis wasn't there. You know, if Anthony Davis plays, I mean, the Lakers are just a really, really tough team to beat. You know, again, when they have two of the three or two of the top four best players in the world on the court at the same time, uh, and LeBron is still one of the best players in the world. I mean, that's just really tough to beat. Well, you and I are of the same opinion that nothing's going to change our mind about Michael Jordan being the greatest of all time. But I, I have really grown grudgingly to uh, respect LeBron James over the year. There's no questioning his talent, obviously. But when you saw that scene the other night where he shot the three-pointer, turned towards the bench, and interacted with his teammates, you know, LeBron could come off a little bit arrogant at times with some of his comments in the media and on his own TV shows and things like that. But his teammates love him. And, I, you know, that's one of the things I've really come to appreciate. He's changed teams a lot, but it seems like he, he pulls in all 15 guys on the roster. Everybody seems to like LeBron James. And I think that's one of the, uh, you know, unheralded qualities about the guy. Yes, he's a great basketball player. He's going to leave the game as the leading scorer of all time and, and be near the top in all the counting stats that matter. But the fact that, you know, he can kind of galvanize a room, I think that's that's – underrated as to how important it's been in, in getting 10 teams to the finals. Yeah, he, he's very serious-minded, obviously, basketball player. He takes his craft and trade very seriously, and I think that rubs off on his teammates. My God, he got Dwight Howard to play serious basketball last year. That must say something in itself. Um, the other thing that's interesting about LeBron, everybody said, well, you know, he's going to take the first month off because he played so many minutes in the bubble and yada, yada, yada. Well, you know what? He probably listened to that and said, you know what? I can play basketball 800 days a year and I don't need that much rest. And he's come out and he's still the best player maybe in the world, even right now. It, it, he's just a machine. That's what he is. He's played every game. He's playing back to backs. He's playing at a high level and they've been winning a lot of games so easily. He's been able to sit out in the fourth quarter. 
it's amazing what he's able to do at age 36 and his 18th year in the league or whatever it is. The guy's unbelievable, David. And, and now I'm a firm belief that he's going to catch Jordan with those six titles. Well, he, you know, he won number four last year. I think he'll win number five again this year. And Anthony Davis has signed a longer term deal than I thought that he was going to sign out there. So, you know, you know what? He just might do that. Yeah. He will ultimately be the all time NBA leading scorer when it's all said and done. I don't think there's any question about that. And one of his goals is to play with his kid. Right. And, you know, and, and so that's three or four years down the road because his kid is just starting high school right now. Or uh, Yeah, that's right. He's just starting high school right now. So. Listen, he might play until he's 40, and, and he's still at 36, Mark. He's unbelievable. That's the one thing that I think he's got over Michael is that he's still the same player, maybe even better than when he first came into the league. Michael was a different player when he finally got into his mid and upper 30s. You know, he wasn't a high flyer anymore. He was more of a turnaround uh, post-up player, to, you know, shooter. You know, he found ways to win. But, but LeBron is still athletically – he's still the – at his prowess. It's just amazing. Yeah. He still does things that, that bring you out of your seat as a fan. And he may not jump quite as high as when he was in his mid twenties, but he can still make plays in the open court. He still can come up with the fantastic dunks on the fast break block shots, chase down guys from behind. He is a physical marvel at 36. And, you know, I would never discount his chances of accomplishing anything right now. Plus the fact he's one hell of a general manager. He always is able to recruit guys to come in on, you know, uh, veterans minimum deals to supplement the roster. He's good at making trades. He's good at getting guys to want to come to the Lakers. He will always have a stacked deck no matter what team he's playing on. All right, let's talk about the trade. Obviously, the big trade yesterday. Uh, Harden goes from Houston to Brooklyn. So recapping very simply, Brooklyn gets um, Harden and a second-round pick. I don't even know whose second-round pick it was. Houston gets Victor Oladipo um, to at least get somebody currently in, in the deal. They get three unprotected first-round picks in 22, 24, and 26, all from Brooklyn, I do believe. They get Cleveland's first pick. They get uh, Dante Exum, I believe, also. And then they get a, a chance to swap picks with Brooklyn. So was this the best they can do? Because I, I read a couple of things earlier today that said that if they would have made the trade with Philadelphia, if indeed Simmons was going to be thrown into it, that they would have gotten a better deal. But I think Houston did pretty damn good in this trade. They got a lot of first-round picks. Well, the fact that a couple of those picks are like in uh, 2025 and 2027 means that, you know, Brooklyn could fall off a cliff. And I think that's what Houston's hoping for, much right. like what happened when Boston made the trade sending Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce to Brooklyn and got all those picks coming back. Then Brooklyn had a, you know, a couple of decent years and those guys aged quickly and they fell off the face of the earth and Boston got a bunch of high draft picks, high lottery picks. I think Houston thought that was a better route to go than maybe making a deal centered around Ben Simmons, because as good as Ben Simmons is, he's going to need a co-star with him because he's not an outside shooter. And I think Houston's think, thinking that maybe We'll take our lumps for a couple of years, but maybe in 2025, 2026, we may get a couple of top five picks and really be able to turn things around in a hurry. Yeah, I think I think Houston did, you know, especially since they were almost forced into this trade by Arden's demands over the last couple of days. I think they did pretty well. All right. So how is it going to work in Brooklyn? I mean, obviously, you have. Three players, all scorers. Um, you know, we don't know about uh, about uh, Kyrie because he's nuts and he's still I don't even know what's going on with him right now. But Durant and, and, uh, 
and Harden have played together in the past. I mean, the, the, both these guys are scoring machines. How's this going to work in Brooklyn, you think? I have no idea. And I don't know if Steve Nash does either. You know, these guys supposedly are friends. Uh, Kyrie and Durant came as a match set to Brooklyn. Uh, supposedly they're as tight as they can be. But I think that friendship may have been strained a little bit by Kyrie going AWOL recently because Durant's been very mum about it. You know, said he just wishes the best for Kyrie. And we'll find out over time eventually what was the reason for him leaving the team for his ex- this extended absence. And then, of course, Durant played with James Harden in Oklahoma City. But at that point, it wasn't the same James Harden. It was a young guy coming out of Arizona State who was happy to come off the bench and happy to be a, a you know a bit player on a very good team. Now he's a former MVP who dominates the ball, who's led the league in scoring the last three years. I think at some point Kevin Durant may just walk up to those guys in the middle of the game and go, would you guys just stop bleeping dribbling and pass me the ball? I'm tired of watching this isolation one-on-one routine. As I said, talent wins in the league, but we also seen examples in history of teams coming apart because guys couldn't get along. And this really looks like the possible recipe for disaster in terms of ball dominant guys who, you know, if they lose a couple of games in the playoffs, there could be some really pointed comments in the media and to each other in the locker room that we got to get this shit straightened out. Yeah. You know, we've talked about having guests on and we will obviously on this podcast and we'll have one of our good friends, Sarah Kustak, on. And, you know, we talked to her earlier about the soap opera that the Brooklyn Nets are going to be. And this is before Harden even got there. So, you know, we'll, we'll check in with Sarah over the next couple of weeks or a month from now just to see how this soap opera is playing out. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, it's going to be tough for Steve Nash, first-year head coach, of course, a Hall of Fame player. But I think the fact that he doesn't have any coaching background is going to make it tougher on him because – He's not that far removed from his playing career. He was such a high-level player that, you know, who do you cater to and how do you tell a guy to pass the ball? It's going to be a tough challenge for Steve Nash. All right. Uh, We want to do the segment, our going back in time memory segment, if you will. Uh, This is where we talk about, because you and I have both been doing this, and I'm not ashamed to say decades of covering the Bulls. So we come up with different uh, memories from our time over all the years. I'll let you lead off today. Well, you know, everyone knew that Phil Jackson was a was a well-rounded person, not just a basketball coach. He was interested in all kinds of things. And one of his passions was the study of Native American cultures. And I remember one time I was assigned to cover uh, Phil making an appearance at a Native American exhibit. I forget exactly where it was. But they brought all these artifacts from all over the country for a brief showing in the Chicago area. And as, as luck or bad luck would have it, I was like the first one to arrive. So it was Phil Jackson and me and the person who was running the thing in a room. So Phil took me around and in great painstaking detail told me the history of all these different Native American artifacts and books. And it was all I could do to to stay interested in it because I was there to ask him a question about the next game coming up. And instead I got a, a mini lesson on Native American history. Not to say it wasn't meaningful and it wasn't interesting at times. Mm-hmm. You know, David, sometimes in our in our role as reporters, we have to feign interest when maybe it's not uh, at the top of our interest meeting. Yeah, it would have been really hard for me to suppress yawning when he was talking about <laughs> that. It takes me back to my school days when I was in class and, and these teachers were talking about God knows what. And I, my mind was elsewhere. OK, and, and all of a sudden I would just start yawning in class because I was so bored. That would have reminded me of the same thing. All right. My fa- oh, memory and I'm going back to 1986. 
And this is when the Bulls this is the old Chicago Stadium. The Bulls are playing the Washington, and I'm pretty sure, yeah, they were the, they were the Bullets then, Washington yeah. Bullets. And uh, Juwan Oldham was the Bulls center, scary in itself. And Manute Bowl was the Washington um, Bullets center. You know, Bowl was a legit 7-7, and Oldham was 7-1. And I don't know what sparked it, but they had a little tussle right before the fracas really started. But then the second time they came in contact with each other, there was almost like a wrestling match at center court. And I'm doing stats on the visiting broadcast, which is basically at center court on the floor. And they're getting closer and closer. And they're sort of, they're not really throwing punches, but they're sort of holding on to each other. And they're, I can feel like, oh my God, there's a couple of redwood trees that are <laughs> falling. And they did. They fell right onto the scorer's table, of which I was there. And all of a sudden, it was like an eclipse where I couldn't see the lights in the ceiling anymore because there was 14 and a half feet of basketball player falling from the sky right on top of me. Fortunately, I ducked under the table because they landed right on top of the table. And I, you know, and I go back every now and then, and I take a look at the highlight on YouTube, and I think I see myself cowering under the table. <laughs> Because those two guys, and, and I didn't realize it at the time, Mark, but I went back and did a little research here. <laughs> and Juwan Oldham was, was the one, I guess, who was fined the most. He was suspended one game, so he lost his one-game salary. But his fine by the NBA, this is 1986, was $1,750. You can oh, imagine. Wow. You can imagine nowadays that would probably be about $20,000. So it shows you the inflation over the years. Well, we've seen uh, a lot of crazy things over the years. Remember the time that uh, JoJo English was involved in a playoff fight against the Knicks and they spilled into the first couple of rows and David Stern was right there and he almost wound up with JoJo English in his lap. So we don't see that kind of thing as much in the NBA anymore. It's probably a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. All right, one bonus segment today, and we do uh, we'll do this every now and then. Chicago centric kind of stuff, and and for those who are listening around the uh, the country, or maybe even up in Canada, I think everybody knows that Chicago is one of the pizza capitals of the world. Um, and I've been to you know other places. They talk about New York pizza. Eh, you know, I've had a New York uh, slice of pizza on the street. It's sort of novel to do it, but it's not really pizza. It's bread. Um, so anyway, we're going to talk about our favorite pizza places. And I'll lead off this one, Mark. My favorite pizza place in Chicago has is noted for deep dish pizza. You know, there's thin crust and then there's deep dish, which is, you know, obviously much thicker dough and then all the ingredients on top of it. And there's a lot of places that are noted in Chicago. There was the old Uno's and Douay's. There's Giordano's. There's Lou Malnati's, yada, yada, yada. Um, but my favorite place is a place called Pequod's. And there's two of them in the city. Actually, one of them is in Chicago. And the other one is out in the Burbs in, uh, in Glenview. And uh, Pequod's, it's, it's always the sauce for me. Anything, any kind of pasta, it's the sauce. And their sauce is magnificent. And all the ingredients are just scrumptious. And, and right now my mouth is watering because I think I want one right now. <laughs> well, I live out in the western suburbs of Chicago. And there's a small little place out in Winfield. It's called Gianario's, and they mm. play, make a fantastic thin crust pizza. And mm. it's a little hole in the wall place. There's no dine-in seating. You have to go pick it up and take it home. But it's certainly worth the trip to, to bring it home. Just excellent thin crust pizza. You know, uh, I mentioned Norm Van Leer last week on, on the show, and his favorite place was Paisano's. He used to hang out there all the time, and that's another great thin crust pizza. So I'm one of these guys that 
There are very few pizzas I don't like. I right. probably eat pizza every day of the week. I prefer thin over thick. You know, I, I think that I can enjoy more of it that way rather than just having a couple of thick slices. So uh, I'm more of a thin crust guy. But Chicago, there are so many great neighborhood places that maybe, you know, a bar that, that makes their own pizza, that those are the hidden treasures. You know, the great, the big chains, like you mentioned, Giordano's, Lou Melnati's, Gino's East, all great. But I think the ones that are the independent ones are the real treasures. Yeah. All right. So let's make a date. Um, I'll come out to the western suburbs and we'll go to that place that you just mentioned. And the next time you're in this neck of the woods, and it might be after the pandemic, who knows. But uh, I'll take you to Pequod's and we'll both satisfy. And you're right. I can eat pizza. It's it's my one. <laughs> it's my one of two pig out foods that I could just I can't stop myself. I just have to have that next piece and that next piece and that next piece. I can't help it. Well, we're taping this early evening, and I know where I'm going next. So uh, it's a good way to end the conversation. All right. Well, fun talking uh, everything with you, uh, Mark, and we'll do this again next week. So you take care of yourself until then. All right, Chew. Thanks. All right. Take care, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.